got your Bible, it's Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and say, worship God acceptably and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not to f- forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison, as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexual immorality. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most high place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but are we looking for the city that is to come? Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for which such sacrifices God is pleased have confidence in your leaders and and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so their work will be a joy not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you pray for us we are sure that you have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Thanks, Matt. All without notice, what a legend. Um, so Matt offered to sing a moment ago, and I had to stop him. I, I don't think I had to convince him to stop. He didn't really want to sing, did you, mate? But isn't it weird to be at church and not sing? It's, I don't know whether you've, at some point, and maybe the people that aren't here are the ones that are thinking this way, but have you considered just not coming to church until singing's back? I, I've actually been really surprised by some of the people that have been talking this way. Um, really conservative type of, uh, conservative types that, um, you know, if I was in their church, I wouldn't think of it as a really 
passionate or vibrant singing community, and even they're talking like this. Uh, not that I want to judge on other people and how they sing or things like that, but it's a real uh, identity thing for us as believers, isn't it? To be able to come together and sing. Bryce, we're going to talk about what our um, topics are at the moment. What we're going to talk about today is some of the things that are just different now that we're back doing church again, some of the things that are different in uh, this season of COVID, and some of the things that we really want to understand in our Christian life. So I've got four words for us at this time. Uh, The one that we're going to look at today is worship. What does the Bible actually say about worship? I don't know whether you realise, but that's what that passage is ultimately about. And we're also going to talk about... um, Do you want to go through them, mate? We're going to talk about worship today. Next week we're going to talk about praise, and you'll see how that comes out of worship. Then we're going to look at the word lament and understand what the Bible tells us about lamenting before God. might be a thing that you've never really thought about or heard of much. And then finally, what does the word church actually mean? What does, that, what does it actually mean uh, to, to be the church and to, to have church, to come to church? But for today, we're thinking about worship. And of course, I've introduced the concept of, of talking about our singing and our not being able to sing, but I hope you already realise that worship is much bigger than singing. You might have committed to memory like I have that that really um, clear passage on this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul writes, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies or your whole lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We understand that uh, worship isn't just singing. Um, And this passage that we're looking at in Hebrews is actually quite similar to what that one passage says. But about, I preached on that at the start of last year, and this passage gives us more to talk about. So that's why we're in this part of Hebrews this morning. But before we dive into this passage, I just want to address that, that thing that happens culturally, the thing that happens where we so strongly associate the idea of worshipping God as being our singing. You might really immediately associate, make that association. And I'll, Culturally, we've seen a real expansion of this. Just as music's changed itself in the last 100 years or so and developed to what all the genres that we have today with its real international flavours and the, the impact of technology and recording and all that kind of stuff, music is just so unrecognisable to the time of the people in the Bible that when we see things like come along to the ultimate worship experience, and that's basically a big concert with lights and smoke and, and loud music and things like that. It's really come a long way. And we just want to be clear and check that we are really understanding what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about worship. With all that, though, churches have used music to try to reach people. Music's a powerful thing. I believe there's a powerful gift from God. It, it, it pulls at our emotions. It, it brings to life truths. And it's right that it does that. In my own conversion, I was converted out of the Anglo-Catholic, Anglican church of this area. So Anglo-Catholics, when Anglican churches are kind of like Catholic churches and they're very liturgical and, 
very traditional and all that kind of stuff. And that, I was like a 12-year-old kid. And in that context, all the stuff that was coming out of like Hillsong and the Carrow churches and the Pentecostal churches was filtering into the youth stuff that we were doing. And in all that and hearing the gospel and responding to it, the, the music side of it was a huge encouragement to me. I remember um, having conversations with my friends uh, just after my conversion. It was about two months before my birthday. And for my birthday, I could have whatever I wanted up to a certain dollar amount. And I'd filled in the back of the Kuron catalogue. And I knew that I had coming a CD and a cassette tape. And it was that combo because that was all that we could afford. The cassette tapes were cheaper. Um, coming from, I think, DC Talk, which is a big American... They were big in the 90s, and then one of the Hillsong tapes, I think it was Shout to the Lord, was, this was like 1998 or something like that. I was so excited about it. My mates thought I was loony. Um, they didn't know what I was carrying on about being so excited about this. And I, I played those things over and over. And just the encouragement and, and the freedom that they gave to express joy it was, was really significant in my, um, in my becoming a Christian. With all that, though, I just want to point out two quite obvious problems that have come along with all of all, kind of as baggage with where Christians have gone with this stuff. I actually think when we're too strongly associating worship with music and and singing and and that kind of thing, it it leads um, to a culture where it's too much about our experience where it's too based on the experience of being in that place with the loud music going around. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with experiences, and I do believe they play a part, but there's something caught up in that where it's, it's too much about looking inside and it's too much about performance. It's almost like we rate or judge our experience uh, as to whether we've really worshipped God or not. I don't know whether you've experienced that yourself, finding yourself thinking that way, or whether you've tried to relate to other Christians, and that kind of seems to be what their Christian life is, is on about. And it's just kind of, it's, it's a problem. Some examples of this, I actually think, come up in the music itself. You know how you get some contemporary worship songs, and they've got this bridge in the middle of it where there's like six words, and they go on for like five minutes of the song. And it almost gets to a point where it's gone beyond singing and it's like some kind of trying to summon up God's spirit to be there with you or something like that. I actually think that at that point it gets linked to that kind of uh, misteaching on the Holy Spirit and misunderstanding that can be present in, in uh, Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Now, I just want to make it really clear, I don't, I'm not trying to bag out on um, our brothers and sisters who are charismatic or Pentecostal, and a good chunk of us, that's where we've been in the past, uh, that's where we've come here from, and I know how significant that's been in my, own, um, in my own Christian faith. But when it's too much about experience, that's not really what worship's about. It's not about how it makes us feel. The second thing, I just think when we so strongly associate worship with music, That's just too narrow a view of what worship really is. Now, the Bible's really clear that we've got to be singing people. We are singing people. 
there's some interesting things that you read that, that almost suggest, and I'm not going to say there's a complete theological basis for this, but they, they almost suggest that God in creating, in his speaking creation, it's almost like that is singing, singing into existence the world. It's, a, it's not exactly what the Bible says, but it's the kind of picture that you can understand, that joyful coming forth of words. Do you know that the first time we have uh, singing recorded in the Bible is right after the Israelites are taken through the Red Sea, at the other side of the Red Sea when they're safe and they've been rescued. They break into song. That's the first time singing is recorded in the Bible. And likewise, in the book of Revelation, in this picture of where we're all headed, Revelation chapter 7, we actually had a song playing at the start of the service. I don't know whether you noticed, but there's this picture of all God's people gathered around the throne where the Lamb is seated and they're all united in song, singing praise to God for what he's done, singing praise to the one that sits on the throne. So when it comes to uh, associating music and singing with worship, it's right to do that. But, but if we just limit to that, we, we misunderstand what the nature of worshipping actually is. Worship is much more than singing. And it's passages like this in Hebrews that we've had read that actually helps to make that really clear. So to help us in this season where we're just not allowed to sing and we want to love one another by not doing that, and even if you think that up here in Evans Head there's not really much risk if we just did it anyway, it's kind of not the point. We're told that we're not to do it and we're not going to be doing it. If that's a, a problem for, for you personally, I really want to encourage you to, to make sure that before you come to church, you just do it at home. Turn it up as loud as you can. Do it on the car on the way here. Even if it's not a problem for you, even if, even if you don't love singing that much, still do it because it's, it's the right thing that we would do. And do it loud enough so that the people are hearing it are like your neighbours or the cars that you're driving past because that's also part of why we while we join together in song. But I want us to look at this now so that our hearts are prepared for a season where we don't stop worshipping even though we've stopped singing. The book of Hebrews, I'll just give you a little bit of context on that. So the book of Hebrews is a letter, we don't know who wrote it, uh, but it was written to primarily Jewish Christians who had had come out of Judaism, had accepted Jesus, but were now finding themselves copying a fair bit of heat from the Romans for being Christians. And they're kind of in this point, when this letter's being written, where they're weighing up, if we just dumped the Jesus bit, we could just go back to being Jewish and people would leave us alone. And you could understand the temptation. I mean, they're already, you know, the Romans occupied the whole area, Okay, their Jewish identity was allowed, allowable. They never really copped much for it. But now they'd taken on Jesus, they're kind of like, this is, this is made, you know, this has made it more than just the culture that we've grown up in. We've really got to take a stand here. And there was a real temptation to give up on it. So when you read through Hebrews, that's where he, the writer gets into all the different Old Testament stuff. It can be a tricky book to read, a very rich book to read, if you've got a good commentary to try to help you understand it and things like that. Matt even quoted it before. That's where that passage where it says, you've got to keep meeting together. Don't give up on that. It's a 
part of the Bible where it talks about Jesus being like the great high priest. And we're going to see some of the stuff as we look at it here. But we've got to remember that we're at the end of this letter. So I can't account for everything that has been said so far or give the detail on it, but we're trying to understand that having explained what it is to, to persist in having faith in Jesus, this is then how you should live. Right at the start of our reading, which is actually right at the end of chapter 12, I'll just remind you of what Matt read out to us. The writer says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Did you hear worship spoken of there? Worship is how we respond. It's our thankfulness to the mercy that has been shown to us. And he says there that it needs to have a certain flavor to it. It needs to be worship that that shows, or a response that shows our reverence and awe. Now, reverence is, or to revere something, it's not really how we talk in our, in our um, everyday language, is it? But to revere something is to hold it in high esteem. You might think of someone that's been a hero of yours, whether it's in a field of something that you are interested in or whether it's in a, a, someone in your family or a mentor or someone that you really look up to. Isn't that why, where the word reverend comes from, that sometimes ministers get called reverend because they're essentially meant to be the ones to to hold some reverence for well that is the attitude that we need to bring when we think about the god who has saved us the god who has rescued us the other part of that or that's a bit easier to explain isn't it or we use the word awesome a lot and when we think about what it is to look at something that takes our breath away, to witness something that is powerful and majestic and beautiful, to be in awe of something. Together these words really make sense of what it is to be a Christian, to know that there is the almighty God who created everything, who holds the universe in his hands, and yet draws near to each of us to tenderly touch our lives, to clean our hearts, to renew us, to give us new life in him. Worship is a thankful response that shows reverence and awe to that God. Now this passage starts with a big therefore. Therefore, since we are receiving this kingdom. And right back at the start of chapter 12, we get some context to this. The writer says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So here he's saying that, that this, this life that we live, God has started it. God has started it in us. And all around that statement there, he encourages us or exhorts us to live 
therefore without sin in our life. See, we know that it's for our sin that we face God's judgment. We know it's for our sin that Jesus took that judgment. We know that we can confidently bring our sin to him and find his mercy and find his forgiveness. Yet, as we come to him knowing that, we don't, you can't do that flippantly, can you? You can't just wander up there and say, here you go, have my sin then, God, whatever. Sounds good. That'll do. That's not reverence and awe, is it? No, no Christian, no, no one who, who ex- really accepts Jesus does it in that manner because that would just be improper. When you think of the weight of what he's done, the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. See, you might have been someone that came to Jesus on a bit of a whim. You kind of like weren't sure whether it was really for you or whether it was really true. And people among our church will testify to that kind of coming to Jesus. But I believe that as you daily encounter the grace of the gospel, we don't come with trust unless it's really what we're dependent on. And so that's why there's spoken of here acceptable and therefore unacceptable worship. To say that, that is to say that there's worship that really worships God. That is to say that it's on God's terms, that we come to him with with contrite hearts, with, with hearts that are open to having him show mercy, to having him be our saviour. It makes much of what he has done. So thinking back to our culture again, this is where contemporary worship music, and particularly that kind of getting your fix of it, getting, getting there and, and having it all, um, having... Uh, being built up by it, and actually, that, I think that's where we get let down a little bit, because it's not on, on God's terms, is it? It's on our terms. It's us going there for what we can get out of it. A, a couple of years ago, I went to one of the Katoomba conferences, uh, the Youth Leadership Conference, and the music at that is just like what you would have in, I don't know, some, some of the, like a Hillsong church or something like that. It's loud, there's a massive band, it's a massive sound, there's the production, they turn the lights down, uh, the stage lights go up, they sing the Hillsong songs and things like that. And I remember walking away from that week there, just really enriched by it, and really recognised in that time that I'd really been built up in my faith, and I was really thankful for it. But in the 12 months since then, when we went back down there this January, I recognised in myself that part of my motivation for wanting to be there wasn't to grow in my faith again, but it was to chase those feelings that I walked away with again. That's not acceptable worship, is it? Because that's not worshipping God. That's just kind of worshipping that feeling that I had, chasing after that feeling or that experience. I think that's the trap that a lot of us have fallen into, that that culture can lead us into, and that we've got to be really careful of. And I think this time of not singing can really be a time where God uses us, uses that time, this, what's going on, to sort that out in our hearts. So 
spoke. That's that verse about worship right at the end of chapter 12. But you might be thinking, what's all the instructions of chapter 13 then got to do with that instruction to give acceptable worship to God? Well, this is where we can't have too narrow a view of what worship is, can we? Because in chapter 13, he talks about all the stuff that basically happens for the other six and a half days of the week that you're not at church. It would be silly if worship was only confined to the, you know, half a day that you're gathered like this. We've got the rest of our week to live, the rest of our lives to to, to live, I should say. Don't we worship God then as well? Let me just go through this list, and I'm not going to try to explain or justify or or do anything with these things, more than show you how they are acts of worship as we lead a life transformed by Jesus. He starts there in verse 1 of chapter 13. He talks about loving one another. Doesn't that bring glory to God when we do that? Doesn't that sing the melody of God's love for us? Doesn't that build us up as believers? In our households when we're loving toward one another, doesn't that remind us of where that love comes from? When we're loving to non-believers, doesn't that give them insight to the love that we've experienced, to the love that we've known in the Lord Jesus? What about in verse 2? He talks about hospitality. Now, hospitality isn't entertaining. It's not throwing a dinner party. It's just about being inviting with other people. You can be hospitable not even in your home. Just by including people in your conversation or what you're doing, giving them your time, including them in your day. Doesn't that speak to what God does in the gospel? Isn't that an act of worship when we live hospitable lives with one another? It's really actually a very important thing to think about in this season when we haven't been having church and we've kind of got our church scattered like this. I mean, like, we know that there's six, seven times as many people as we see sitting here who are normally part of our church. Isn't it a time to be actively showing hospitality to people, to including people at 1.5 metres, but still including them? Isn't there a challenge there? Who can you include? What about verse 3? Thinking again, how is this worship? Well, isn't he talking about concern for Christians who suffer for being Christians? When our focus is on other people who are also walking this walk with us, doesn't that bring him glory? Doesn't that show awe and reverence to him? I don't know about you, but just being having church locked down for a period of time because the government said so, that sounds like the kind of thing that comes out of like a communist country or something like that, doesn't it? Has that given you just a little bit of an understanding or a little taste of of what it might be like for other brothers and sisters in other parts of the world? We've lost it, what, for uh, three months. Some people have never even gathered in this way and yet walk with the Lord Jesus. As you show concern for other Christians, particularly those who suffer, doesn't that show reverence to God? Doesn't that worship him? What about... In verse 4, in your marriage and in your sex life. Isn't that an opportunity to worship God as you live that out the way that God's designed it, the way that God's redeemed you to live it? 
Isn't that an opportunity to worship God? Doesn't that sing out to your brothers and sisters and to the world the faithfulness that God shows us? Doesn't it express that? Isn't our marriage and, and that part of our life an opportunity for us to worship God? What about verse 5? And Matt started to talk about this before. Live free of the love of money, he says. Be content with what you have. Don't you think God cares more about that than how well we sing when we do sing? Isn't that an opportunity to show who we revere and who we trust in? Because we're not scurrying around trying to make a life for ourselves, but we are worshippers. We, we are dependent. We live for the one who has rescued us. He talks about submitting to our leaders. Isn't that a countercultural thing? I don't submit to anyone. Who do I? I don't want to do what my boss says. I don't want to do what the government says. I don't, want to do, I don't even want to submit in my marriage. That's kind of where our culture's at. To, to commit yourself voluntarily to a group of people called the church and then submit to their leadership and put your trust in, in their leading, doesn't that show awe and reverence to God? Isn't that worship? I'm going to skip over the next bit. Look at verse 15 now. He does talk about praising through Jesus, verse 15. Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess our name. There is definitely a place for speaking, speaking words that offer worship to God. But notice that they're just buried in here in the list. Well, not buried, but they're among a whole life of things that are set in worship of God. You know, I think that what Matt modelled to us before, put that in conversation, words, the fruit of our lips, openly professing God's goodness, isn't that an opportunity to worship God? And of course, we sing. We sing loudly, we sing passionately, just like it says that we ought to there, offering that sacrifice of praise. But even now he's got to singing, he doesn't stop there. He goes in verse 16, talking about doing good to others and sharing with others. Don't we worship God as we put that into action of doing good and sharing resources with other people? Verse 17, again, he's talking about submitting to leaders. He says that as doing that, by doing that, you actually are a joy for them, to love and care, let them love and care for you, not be a burden to them. Now, I've got to say, I picked this passage to preach on and I didn't realise that part was in there until I started to work through it. Um, I knew that it talked about worship, but I didn't know this thing was highlighted. So I'm just going to confess up here. I'm not saying this to try to manipulate you into being more uh, joyful for me to serve and not a burden on me. Um, That's not my motivation at all. Um, But I would say that during the last few months, even as I'm a total rookie at doing this job, has even been harder in some respects when I'm not actually seeing any of you. So I'm so glad to be back in front of you. But I've got to say that where people have looked up to, sorry, where I've had to look up to and respect my own leavers, and you guys as my brothers and sisters have put confidence in 
in the stuff that I'm, you know, trying to direct us in, I tell you what, that has made doing my job a joy. And it hasn't been a burden as much as that's been happening. I've got to say that it's been a big learning curve, but the big learning curve is that realising leadership of a church isn't trying to keep watch. It's not playing big brother in the lives of the 100 or 200 people or however many people are under your care or influence. It's actually tender care and, and love, kind of like what you do when your kids go to sleep at night, making sure that they're sleeping all right and they're warm and they've got those kind of things that they need to, to grow and to thrive. That's what I'm finding it to be like. So as we enter voluntarily into that church life, don't we worship God? Prayer, right at the end, rounds out this list. Coming dependent, dependent to God and, and speaking to him, relating to him as our almighty God, as our Father who tenderly cares for us, as our Saviour who saves us, rescues us, redeems us, and as the Spirit who indwells us, guides us, leads us. Do you know... When you think about worship, the big problem with worship isn't actually our definitions of it. And even though I reckon there's good things and unhelpful things that come with the worship culture and all the singing, you know, that's not the problem with worship, is it? The problem that we will struggle with in worship is, is none of that. God created us all as worshippers, but our problem and, and the problem that all humanity faces is is that as worshippers, we don't worship God at all. Our tendencies are to worship ourselves or to worship these things that are in this list, to worship what God has created. Just go through those first three or four examples again. It talks about loving one another. Well, don't we love to be loved? Don't we love to love ourselves? Don't we worship but worship ourselves in that way? When it comes to hospitality, don't we love to be welcomed in and have hospitality extended to us? Doesn't that make us feel good? Aren't we quick, instead of thinking of others, to, to think about ourselves? Don't we join in with the culture and worship sex as some kind of ultimate thing? Or can't we live in marriages where we're in it for what we can get out of it? Don't we join in and worship money as if it gives us the control over what happens in our life or what we can gain from it. You can go through the whole list and you will see all the ways in which human beings in their sinfulness worship, but not the God that made these things, but, but treat these things as God. Worshipping anything other than God is at the heart of our sin. And so remember, as brothers and sisters, as Christians, We've been set free from that kind of worship. We've been set free to worship the God who stands behind all of those things. We've been set free from the need to just worship ourselves, to sacrificing that over to worshiping the God who is our creator. I skipped over verses 11 to 14, and we're going to come back to them now. See, like I said, the Hebrew Christians, they just wanted to give up. They wanted to go back to Judaism. 
And so the writer of Hebrews does something really clever here, and he takes their worship, their sacrificial system, and he shows them how Jesus fulfills that so perfectly. He says there that just as the high priest carries the blood of an animal into the most holy place and a sin offering is made and the bodies are taken outside and burned outside the camp, he says there's so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate and by doing so he made the people holy through his own blood. See that? We, we're invited to give over our self-worship and our misguided worship and our sinful worship and join him. What he says next, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace that he bore. All the ways in which these verses instruct us to live, they echo a life that is like that, that is handed over to God, handed over, sacrificed, given up to be transformed, to be put in the hands of one who created them and made them, to be redeemed, to be lived the way they are intended to be lived. That is, to pick up the words of verse 12 again, when we join with Jesus, when we are Christians, when we are believers, when we have our hope set on what he did outside the camp, on the cross, we join him in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As believers in Jesus, our worship centers on that trade on the cross of Jesus, the sin offering outside the camp that makes us holy. And worship expresses itself in a life that is constantly transformed, lived differently by that sacrifice. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but I I reckon this has been going on for, I don't know, maybe the last six or seven years where at some point in the year, people start to look at the year that's happening, or they look back on the year that's happened and go, oh, this has been the worst year that's happened forever, at least in their living memory. I remember a few years ago, um, it was when David Bowie died that year, and they lit, you could rattle off like all these celebrities of the baby boomers' generations, and all the baby boomers cried out, it's the worst year in our living memory. Now, of course, we're in 2020, aren't we? People are, we're only just in the middle of it and people are already labelling this the year to forget, aren't they? I don't know whether you've been saying things like this. Uh, I got, um, a thing came up on my Facebook the other day. If 2020 was a food, what would it be? And you had to write a comment there and there was all kinds of things written like tripe and brains and... Uh, I think my sister wrote coriander because she's one of those people that can't stand the taste of it. I quite like coriander. I wrote hot dogs, I think, because they're dirty. But don't we do that? We look at the world around us and we look at our circumstances and our situation and we go, worst year ever. Sometimes it's 
the 2019 bushfires, or you could probably go 2009 bushfires and the 2012 bushfires, and bushfires every three years or so, isn't there? The devastators, or the flood years, or whatever it is. But as worshippers in Jesus Christ, who, who have made a, a trade with God, where we've given our life over to be transformed by him, the one that was taken outside the camp, who was hung up on the cross, when that's where our identity is, and, and where that's what we're committed to living our life for in worship of, don't we realise that every year that comes our way, every day that we wake up to is a new mercy from God? Is that not true of today? Aren't we to give God honour? To give him thanks for guiding us? You might be in the darkest pit of your entire life right now. But being a true worshipper of God will recognise his faithfulness that has not left you. His kindness that has not been taken away from you. His goodness that has not deserted him but is still extended to us. See, when things go pear-shaped in our, in our kind of prosperous Western lives where our freedoms to indulge in life's gifts are wound back and we feel like, oh no, what can I even, yeah, I can't even buy toilet paper at the shops. Have you ever considered that that might just be a huge mercy from God on his church, on his people, on the people whom he will save? Because when that stuff that we tend to worship instead of him is taken away, when that stuff that is like the thorns that crowd out our life are taken out of our life, when we're not even allowed to sing at church and we gather without singing and it feels so weird and I'm going to put my hand up and say I don't like it at all, Could that not be a mercy from our God to really understand what it is to worship him with awe and reverence? To be showing him acceptable worship, not just when we're gathered, but in the six and a half days when we're not. Won't a time like this embed for us the words of verse 14? For here we do not have an enduring city but we are looking for the city that is to come. How true is that? How obvious is it that this life that we lead is not building an enduring city? It falls over. You know, someone eats a bat and all of a sudden the world's gone mad. That's too simplistic, I know. But do you understand what I'm saying? It is a broken, sinful world, and yet, By the blood of Jesus, you are brought into an inheritance where there is a city to come where it is not threatened. Like verse 28 says, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So in that, I'm going to lead us in prayer now. And I want to invite you to, like those verses say, offer thankfulness to God. 
Think about what it is about God and as you know him, through Jesus, to revere him and sit in awe of him. And then I'm going to invite us to repent for our failure in worshipping him. And then again, to submit to his gospel. So let's pray together now. Our good Father and our God, we sit before you as your children and we recognise that in your tender mercy, you bring us into new life with you. Lord, we just share with you the things that we are thankful for. And Lord, we look at who you are. We think about the cross. We think about your salvation shown to us. And Lord, we sit in reverence and awe of you. And Lord, we say sorry for our failures to worship you. And Lord, we thank you that you invite us to turn our back on our sin and to turn to you in faith and to know that you redeem us. And Lord, we submit ourselves now once again to trusting in you, to having our faith in you, who has authored and is perfecting this faith. Lord, we look to your example, your enduring of the cross. And Lord, We ask that we would live lives that endure through the hardships of this life and go on in praise and worship of you. Lord, today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, the rest of our lives. Lord, we ask that our lives would be a song, a loud and beautiful melody because you're at work in them. And Lord, a melody that rings into the ears of people throughout our community, throughout our families who are lost and far away from you, Lord, that they might know you. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.